Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast. Featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. So here we are. We're live with Ryan Pennington, my, my man. Hey, listen, I got my Charleston shirt on. I, well, I noticed on my West Virginia shirt. I noticed that when you signed on. I'm like, man, he's representing Chucktown. Well, that's it. See, now Ryan's like my brother from another mother because Ryan is from Charleston, West Virginia, my alma mater, University of Charleston. So I feel like I, I'm, I'm when when I hear your your Southern twang, is that, that that's not a derogatory term, is it? Southern twang. I, I have no idea. But when I hear that, it just brings me, uh, it takes me home, country road, the place where I belong. It's so funny because I try to get rid of it, but man, I tell you what, there, it's so it's so inbred in me, so to speak. <laughs> well, Ryan, Ryan is uh, on a job out in Charleston as well, so, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I will say this will be the podcast with the worst lighting ever on both our parts, although yours is kind of, you, you know, you got the northern lights going on. That's pretty cool. So my daughter took over my, uh, so now COVID, she's doing school or homeschool through the computers and she picked up a hobby and she's like, I want to do online gaming. I'm like, hey, listen, I get it. You're stuck in the house. So all of a sudden she's like, what do I do if they want to pay me? I was like, excuse me? <laughs> she's like, I need some kind of tax stuff. Excuse me? <laughs> so uh, she, so now uh, Jump Seat Training LLC has a second employee, and you can find her on all the streaming Twitches. I guess not very many girls uh, game, so she's gained almost 70,000 followers in 60 days. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Her, she's been viewed almost 2 million times in 60 days. It took me seven years to get 64,000 uh, fans to like step up and lead on Facebook. <laughs> it took her 60 days. So I'm super, yeah, and the thing about it is everybody's like, aren't you worried about her grades? And I'm like, you know what? For some odd reason, and I cannot explain it, but since she started this, which I'm looking at you through this massive computer, I feel like I'm back in the, I'm going to date myself here, Frank, back in war games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can play a game. Her grades got better. You didn't have to say anything to date yourself. You're wearing a Star Wars <laughs> shirt. You like that? 1977? <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm super proud of her. She her grades have improved. She's carrying a 4.0 while she's doing all this online gaming stuff. So huge shout out to Allison Pennington. You can find her over. I won't share her links or nothing because it's mainly for kids. But it's uh, super proud of that. Super. Proud well, of that. hey, listen, I'm proud of her too. That's great. You know, when, when a kid's doing something fun, we were just talking before this started. How my son, um, nine years old, playing a clarinet, just got his white belt through school, and uh, two days ago says, "I don't want to play a clarinet. I want to play a saxophone." That's right. And so we're like, all right, we're not going to tell you no. I mean, it's not like you, it's not like a sport where it's like, hey, you got to finish the season. Nope. So I said, you want to, you want to change instruments? Let's do it. So he went and he got a saxophone and in, in uh, one day learned three songs and I'm, nice. and he, and he loves it. And he keeps talking about how, a matter of fact, he woke me up this morning, eight, <laughs> time, eight times in a row. He goes, dad, dad, are you awake? Dad, are you awake? And I know where he's going with this. So now I'm faking that I'm sleeping way too early. <laughs> So finally, dad, are you awake? I go, yeah. He goes, oh, good, because I want to practice the saxophone. <laughs> and that's about. <laughs> so, well, listen, let's talk about you, Ryan. Uh, yeah. First of all, I, you know what I was trying to 
trying to figure out yesterday when the first time we met was, and oh my I gosh. don't, I don't know. Do you know? Uh, you and I, uh, you reached out to me over the telephone through a mutual friend, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Doctor Richard Gasway, and you was you were just starting to speak. I was just starting to speak, and you and I hooked up that way. But I don't remember the first time we ever met in person. But we spoke over the telephone. I don't know. Gosh, it's so funny, though, because I, I, I really consider you, uh, even though you're far, a close friend, especially when it comes to the business side of what we do on the side. Uh, I value your input. But we spoke on the telephone, I bet, for six months, maybe. Yeah, well, uh, believe me, uh, I'm well aware. I consider you a great friend. And I've seen you a couple times in West Virginia, a few times at FDIC and our on the speaking circuit. We bump into each other. We bump into each other in airports. <laughs> we record podcasts in airport. By the way, that's still one of the most downloaded podcasts I've ever had. <laughs> well, that, that was a lot of fun. But, you know, one of the things you're known for, and you're known for quite a few things, but one of the things is heavy content fires. Yep. I wanted to talk about that for a minute because I had a very interesting um, scenario where uh, we have a fire and one of my... Uh, first arriving officers comes uh, on the radio and says, chief, we have a, a we have Collier's Mansions conditions. <laughs> and now I know what that means. Yeah, most people outside the Northeast will not. Most people outside the Northeast do not, as well as I had several firefighters with only a few months on a job. And we haven't gotten to the point where we talked about what that is. But what's interesting was uh, on my way home the next morning from that fire, I get a call from my friend in West Virginia that says, hey, I heard you had a hoarding fire yesterday. Yep. And I, and I said, how did you hear that? I mean, I'm in Kearney, New Jersey. You're out in <laughs> Charleston, West Virginia. But I guess, uh, you know, everything, everything pretty much goes viral these days in one way, shape, or form. But, but, but somebody must have told you, uh, hey, there's a, there's a, a Collier's Mansion. So I set up my Google alerts to go off anytime the words hoarding and fire or hoarder fire are mentioned worldwide. First of all, let's talk about hoarding. Let's start with hoarding as a condition itself, because a lot of people yep. don't realize this is a diagnosed, a clinically diagnosed condition. Yep. So you can be clinically diagnosed for a compulsive hoarding disorder. It added, they added it to the DSM-5 in 2015, I think. Um, you can be clinically diagnosed. You can be assessed and treated for compulsive hoarding disorder, because what most firefighters don't realize is that you can't just go clean their house and fix the problem. This is a deep-seated uh, mental health issue. They, they take years and years and years and years and years to, to fix it and to remedy it. Uh, what we as firefighters need to understand is the chances of you running into one of these fires is increasing. Matter of fact, I saw a post from uh, our good buddy Nick Martin down in Salisbury, North Carolina. He's like, I can't remember the last time I went to a fire that was not hoarding conditions. Well, there is varying levels. I mean, what you guys had was like level five. I mean, it's closer to, closest to the tip, tip, tip top versus someone who goes into an unkept house and they'll say, well, this is a hoarding fire. Well, not really, it wasn't. It was just cluttered. It was just squalid. But you need to understand that once you're diagnosed with hoarding, you can be rated on how severe you have the disorder, whether it's one through five scale, one through 10 scale. And it, it starts as a choice, but then as the affliction takes over, um, they, can't, they can't stop. And then when you try to throw their stuff away, they've been known to become violent towards you and your crew. Well, that's interesting that you say that because we had one particular uh, incident that I don't remember what what we were called there for. I want to say maybe it was a, a odor of gas. I don't remember, but severe hoarding conditions up to the ceiling. Yep. But there were 
uh, firearms like mm-hmm. located throughout. <clears throat> and and that, that particular individual seemed a little agitated and hostile to the yep. point where it made me a little bit uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I knew it was going to happen sooner or later. We were going to find a fire uh, when the occupant refused to leave a working fire happened on Long Island. And I'm sorry, I'm not remembering the name of the department. They went for a small kitchen fire truck arrived first because the engine had to put our capes on on the way there. (laughs) Jab, jab, jab. And uh, he took the cane and tried to put the fire out and the occupant would not leave. Working kitchen fire, they're knocking out the can, waiting for the, the real firefighters to arrive on the engine. <laughs> and they re, the guy refused to leave us. I'm not leaving my house. So, I mean, that can become very uh, disrupting for the firefighters and they need to understand they may become violent. It's it's happened in, oh my gosh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, Pennsylvania had a compulsive order show up to the city council meeting and kill three of them. It happened in Utah. It happened in, I want to say Missouri. So, I don't want to say, I want to be very respectful for the people because these people are our mothers, sisters, brothers, and cousins, but we need to understand that this is a deep-seated issue, and it goes way deeper than you and I can get into. Yeah, and, and just to get into what we can talk about and should talk about are, are the the increased risks to oh. firefighters, which, I mean, you mentioned being a, uh, you know, a kitchen fire. Yeah. Uh, every house I've been into that was, you know, what we now call a heavy content fire, just, I guess, because it's just a more respectable. It is very, a respectful yeah. term, yep. but a heavy content fire, the kitchens were among the worst areas because stuff is piled everywhere on the stove, mountains of it on the floor. I've seen one where, where there was water in the basement from a leak in the sink that mm-hmm. was overflowing. And it was a couple of inches of water in the entire basement, which means this little drip must have been dripping for a couple of years. Yeah. So you think yep. about, you think back to what you said earlier, they're Collier's mansions. Well, the Collier's brothers were located in Harlem, 128th Street, and they had to tear their building down because the dilapidation over time, the water leaks, the, the structural instability. Imagine how unstable that structure you're describing is with tons and tons of debris, plus dilapidation, plus mold. You're at a collapse risk before we start throwing our water inside, our water, which is right. 33 pounds per gallon. So, I mean, that need, we need to keep that in mind as firefighters. Like, hey, listen, this is a collapse risk before we put us in it. Right, because we're talking about paper, containers, uh, clothing, food, oh, books, yeah. furniture, other how people's about, trash. How about Chevy big block engines? Yes. Yeah. Seen, oh, it. seen it. In Charlotte, North Carolina, they found a whole car that had been taken apart and put together in the guy's attic. So it had a Chevy big block, the frame, everything. It's... <laughs> Frank, it's like I can't even I can't even begin to tell you some of the stuff we saw. A yarn hoarder, and the ones that really ought to get to you that you really need to start thinking about is animal hoarding. Now, is it true that animal hoarders usually don't hoard other things or do that? It's it's not like there's a textbook. Okay, you being diagnosed okay. as a hoarder, you will do this. It's just it afflicts each person differently. I mean, it, most times when they've got massive amounts of contents, they've got at least three to six animals. But I'm talking like South Texas, where they had like 200 chihuahuas. I'm talking like Anchorage, Alaska, where they had like 350 rabbits in a house. Right. And it was a working fire, 350 rabbits. You know what we call that in West Virginia, don't you? We call That's it a- lunch. That's a good <laughs> eat right there, boy. But the thing about it is, is you need to be conscious and aware that they can, they can store belongings, they can store animals. But you need to also be mindful of, here's my biggest takeaway with, with hoarding fires, Frank, that I've come with. 
firefighters have a hard time being told no, period. We are designed one way, down the hallway, make the right, make the left, put the fire out, pull the ceiling. We all go home and high five ourselves on the way out. Some hallways are not designed for you to get down. Right. And when you right. can't, you're going to have to adjust. And you need to make that call early and often when you recognize that you've got heavy content conditions, period. Right. Right, because it changes everything. You can't, you can't, everything. you can't vent at the search a second uh, story if you can't get in the window. And then why are you going in the window if you can't get in it? Let me let you in a little secret. If you can't get in it, nice Frank Viscuso that uses his concept two rower all the time and says in peak physical condition. The, the one that hangs my clothes <laughs> when I tilt it up. How do you think that occupant can get inside that room? Yeah, they can't. Right. If there's no pathway. They're most likely, not always, the only two always I ever use is I'm always going to be fat if I don't get on my rower that I got. <laughs> but most likely, if there's no path, there will be no patient. Because in a fire situation, they don't have time to crawl on top of the debris. Now, it, is there cases that prove that wrong? Yes. Henrico County, Virginia found it. The guy was on top of the contents. They did their primary, their secondary, and their second secondary, and then they found it. But under combat situations, well, I'll give the flying air quotes, combat situations, if you don't identify a pathway, stay out of it, go put the fire out, then go do the search. So, well, and let's <clears throat> talk about this. So what, what do people need to do? I think the first thing we need to do, and I learned this from you, <laughs> and not really, the first thing you need to do is pre-plan your neighborhood. What I've, what I've discovered, and I know that you know this as well, that's either your ring or mine going on. That's right? mine. <laughs> okay. What I've discovered is that uh, it's, it's usually pretty easy to identify from the outside. And some of the ways that I've discovered is uh, mountains of, of, of uh, garbage, for lack of a better word. That, that's, right. you know, probably an irresponsible word, but mountains of, of debris. Um, outside of a house, but what I've noticed more so is the vehicles. One hundred percent. One vehicles seem to be uh, stacked with with debris. I call them HTUs, hoarding transportation units, because yeah. people have got to get that contents in it. And the clinical folks say that they just fill containers. If you've got multiple outbuildings and in, in behind your house, if you've got more than one, something's something's amiss here. And I, I, I'm telling you, Frank. Some of these are easily spotted. Some of them are not. I would venture to say in Kearney, New Jersey, that they've got building codes that says you can't clutter the front yards. But most likely, and I'm speaking off the whim here, most city ordinance say that you don't have any regulation for the backyard. So we want to look in their backyard. And I'm telling you, overgrown trees and shrubs and excuse me, vegetation is a red flag. If you go down to wherever in New Jersey or wherever in West Virginia and you see nice kept house, nice kept house, nice kept house, trees covering the windows, vines covering the back porch, they're trying to either A, hide something, they can't physically uh, perform the maintenance or they can't, uh, uh, they can't pay someone to do it. That is a telltale sign that there is one of three things, a marijuana grow facility because they've got great helicopters in West Virginia now, a shake and bake meth lab, or they're potentially hoarding stuff inside that house, but they just don't want you to know about it. So what we did is after, um, after that one job that we referenced earlier, I got everybody together and, and we just made sure we're all on the same page with everything. I took pictures of 
some houses around town. Yep. I showed I showed the pictures and I said, you know, notice this, this, this. We had one uh, where a guy had about 15 garbage cans, all full, filling containers. But what was interesting about these garbage cans is, uh, and this was the one that had the, the um, firearms, same guy. Um, they, they were filled with stuff that seemed to be like ordered from home shopping networks yep. and put in there brand new, not even taken out of container. Very common. Very common. It, it very was very, common. very, very interesting. And But I took these photos. I showed them to our members. We talked about, all right, here's our, let, let's be aware of where they are. Um, let, let's make sure that we're referring to them as heavy content yep. fires. And, um, and then we started talking about procedures. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you. So people listen to this and they can talk about procedures. You said something earlier, which is you need to call it early, oh. meaning identify it and make sure everybody's aware. Hey, Chief, this is Engine One. We're on scene of a two-and-a-half-story frame with a working fire operating in the offensive mode. We're experiencing heavy content conditions. Heavy content, right. Perfect. So, and, and here's the thing is if you get it wrong and you get inside and it was just the front porch full of crap, hey, Chief, we've made entry. We've assessed the interior. We're canceling heavy contents. Yeah, see, this is great. And that, See, and the beautiful thing is you're talking great communication, mm -hmm. but that only comes with practice. Oh, <laughs> It only can, right? It only oh, comes with practice. Of, and I can't get firefighters to understand it. It takes sets and reps. Like, I'm getting ready to start back into CrossFit just because I'm fat and I really enjoy it because I like just absolutely mutilating my body for 20 minutes and then taking like three days off, right? If I want to get good at different lifts, if I want to get, I need sets and reps. Where can you as a firefighter get sets and reps to what you're going to say on the radio? Let's just say uh, I work engine seven. We run five fires a month so that's 50 fires that's only 50 chances of saying something on the radio of those five fires i may be first due maybe one time so that's one time to get it right uh -huh. so how do you build those sets and reps it comes listen i'm a big youtube person i turn the volume off and i give my initial radio report engine seven on scene two and a half story work two and a half story frame work and fire operating in offensive mode we have a water and water supply i shut my mouth and go to work period so you need to Build those sets and reps. And I'm also a good person, or my big thing is memorization of common terms. Getting firefighters to speak the same language is almost like trying to agree what's for dinner. It, it just doesn't happen very often. So find out what your rhythm and sayings are. That's why I love the FDNY, because they use the same reports. Whether it's Battalion 2 or Battalion 22222, they all say the same things. You need to practice what you're saying. Add heavy content in with it. Yeah. So you arrive, uh, report of heavy content fires. Does that tip you off to say, all right, we're going to need an additional water supply? Let's just say that your process is to get a secondary water supply. Like that's your secondary alarm, period. Okay. Chief, so call a second. Call a second right off the call bat. Call a second. You know, I always think about it. We, we should be all be driving responsibly because even if the fire, let's just say it was just a small kitchen fire and you called a precautionary second alarm. Okay. Now what? Well, you got these guys standing around. Guess what the overhaul is going to be like? Oh, yeah, well, right. That's how I was going to get into the overhaul. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, call the second early. Uh, we all should be res responding responsibly. Get some people in staging. Uh, double. You, I always use a rule of doubles. If you've got two attack teams, make it four. Why? Because you need more people backing you up. If you've got a four-person RIT team, make it a, make an eight-person RIT team. Why? Because if you have a RIT activation and heavy contents, Lord help you, it's going to be bad. I like to consider this and call this a tactical reserve. There you give me, go. Give me a couple of companies that are standing by ready to work. If, yep. if all 
hands are working. I'd like to have at least an engine and ladder company ready to work when I need it. Because they're going to have to come out at some point and go to rehab. Yep. yep. And, and I know we're going to get way off and all, out in the ballgame because we're talking a lot about a stuff, a lot, a lot, a lot about a lot of different things. But rehab is something that we overlook way too often because I, I'm telling you, when I went to Engine 7, I won the lottery. My guy, let me tell you what, boys, it's on fire. Engine 7's coming, and we're going to take your fire, and we're going to put it out because I'm telling you, my boys like to work. So yeah. it's like we're sitting over in rehab. We've only went through one cylinder. Like, okay, can we leave now? Can we leave now? Can we leave now? I'm like, guys, we're supposed to rehab. He's like, we're good. <laughs> okay. But you really need to let your people experiencing heavy content conditions rehab longer, and that's where those tactical reserves are going to come in. That's exactly. And, and, but that's also something you need to call. Like, I don't know, everybody has their own rehab unit. Of, right. You know, we don't, we have to call from, it's kind of mutual aid units. We have a gong club that would come in and provide some uh, refreshments, cookies, don't afraid, crackers. Don't be afraid to you, you, use your EMS guys either. Don't be yeah. afraid to use them. No, we do. I mean, we have a pretty good working relationship with them. Uh, okay. So Water supply, you know, it's pretty standard at every fire, right? Sure. But yep. but here you just have to make sure that we get a couple lines and active, you know, at least one to back up. But do you change your do you change the size of your line? Do you say this is typically an inch and three quarter? See, the thing about that is, Frank is is listen. Ifs and buts were candies and nuts. We'd all have a merry Christmas, right? You yeah. got to throw the ifs and the buts in there. Yeah, here's right. here's what you need to really really kind of sink in. Hoarding fires are usually smaller fires. Why? Because you've got heat, right? Because it's on far. So we say down south, it's on far. <laughs> you got fuel. It's got all the fuel in the world. What is the one thing that the hoarding can take away or limit or reduce? And that's the air. Right. So not all hoarding fires are major 10 alarm fires. Some of them are very small, deep seated fires. Right. So, it's almost it's almost like a dumpster fire. It's exactly yeah. like a if you, if you live out in the Midwest or down south, it's like a hay bale fire. Have you ever fought a hay bale fire for? I've never seen hay bale fires. So oh, like the eight foot round bales and it's burning in the middle. Yeah, I, I know what, I know what they are, but I've never yeah. seen. But well, don't, don't they have like piercing nozzles they use? I know when I well, listen, I, no, I went traveling once where yep. somebody said that one of their firefighters created for their department yep. a, a piercing nozzle strictly for that. Yep. And I don't know if that's something that uh, that is a regular uh, tool that they use out there. Hey, look, you know, when I look out of my window, what I see is a beautiful view of my neighbor looking right back at me. So, so well, we don't have the, the fields. Our fields are actually our landfills. Our mountains <laughs> that grow. Well, and if you can't get a piercing nozzle to the inside, you got to break the bale apart to put the yeah, fire out. It's basically it. But I mean, you just here's my main thing: is you need to find a proper entry point to where you think the fire's at. Mm -hmm. Here's what's going to complicate that. If you can't do a tactical 360 or what I call a 380 with the extra 20 degrees look inside the Pearson's vehicle, you're going to have to make an educated guess. Or do we have a kitchen fire? Do we have a bedroom fire? Do we have a basement fire? Oh my gosh, hoarding houses cause basement fires, period, right? But you need to take in a little bit of extra time and really figure that out. How do you do that? I carry my thermal imaging camera with me. This is something I learned from Andy Starnes. As you take your thermal imaging camera, you scan it from the outside. Why? Anybody, any dummy can see the fire blowing out of the ABC123 window. But how many of you can find a hot soil pipe? If the soil pipe's showing 300 degrees, guess what? Fire somewhere along there. When you, and he calls them thermal bridges. So you really need to slow down and try to figure out where that fire is at. Then... You need to figure out how does the occupant get in and out? 
commonly it's not the front door anymore. I, just, I wanted to talk about that because I've found most of them are going in through the back door or, or a side right, door or windows or the guy in Shepherdstown that had, uh, uh, he had uh, scaffolding up the exterior of his house to get into the only one room on the top. Wow. It, wow. Here's the thing is we don't slow down very well. We don't. Yeah. Right. There's the fire where we are. Yeah. I, I got, I got to give an attaboy to my boys again. We went uh, third due on a, uh, what you guys would say up in the Northeast was so had a triple Deca <laughs> rocking. Yeah. And we took, we took the Charlie side and it's like somebody videotaped us coming in. And it's like, man, I felt really bad. It's like we were standing there for almost two minutes and 30 seconds before we did anything. Well, come to find out, I remember I walked to the chief and said, hey, we're on the Charlie side. That tactical patience paid off because we saved the two exposure. And I'm not, I'm not saying we did anything great, but that tactical pause to say, okay, where can we do the most effective good right now? And my guys made a great call. They took a line of the left and the line right, saved the two exposures. When hoarding fires or in heavy content fires, you have to take that tactical pause and say, where's our entry points? Where's our exit points? Where's our fire at now? And then where's the fire going to go? Right. I remember uh, three particular um, heavy content incidents. One was a fire, one was medical. And then uh, again, the third one, I don't remember exactly what the call was, but all three of them, uh, we couldn't get in through the front door. Yep. All three of them were through one through the side, two through the back. The fire, they, they, you know, and ended up taking the door off the hinges. Yep. Which that was a heads up move by our captain, which did a great job. Just, you know, popped those hinges, took the door off and went in uh, where you come to find out could have came in right through the back, which wouldn't have been the best point of entry for that particular incident anyway. But that's where they were going in and out through the back. Here's something that firefighters have a hard time with. Don't be afraid to use exterior streams on confined space dumpster fires with roofs. Would you crawl into a dumpster with the lid on it? No. What would you do? Put your water in there? And everybody's like, all right, let me preface this by saying there's no reports of entrapment. And if, if a heavy content person looks at you and says, listen, there's no one inside that house, believe them. Believe them. Because they know what's inside their house. They all do. Yeah. But let's just say there's nobody inside. 100% nobody's inside. Don't be afraid to use your water in a ventilation-limited condition to expand the steam that we're all scared of and let it saturate and slow down for you. I'm telling you, we did a, a, an experiment down in 2015. We hoarded up uh, uh, like a shotgun style New York or North Carolina style house. We put three young firefighters with 150 gallons per minute in an open window and the chiefs with 30 gallons a minute in a closed window. <laughs> and they're like, just do this, Ryan. You're going to be amazed. I'm like, man, there's no way 30 gallons a minute's going to put out a hoarding fire. If you take away the air, I'm not, I, no, I'm not advocating to go get 30 government nozzles and go charge no, in fires. I, I understand where you're going. <laughs> but if you, if you leave it ventilation limited, you put the water where it goes, it expands, it saturates, it gives you enough time to start the opening up process. Yeah. And that's what we need. It also gives you time to get your extra one and one, your extra two and two, your second alarm company staging, and then yeah. go start dropping window seals. I'm telling you, Frank, is, is, is God's honest truth. I'm sitting here right in front of you in this awesome pink room that my daughter has created. Um, dropping window seals, just like a rip maneuver. Yep. It has worked. I think I'm at like 130 successful fires where they just drop the window seals. Just bam. Now you got a point of entry. Mm. And well, let's talk about now search. 
and, and rescue before I get into uh, a little bit deeper into the overhaul thought process. Um, there's usually, in my experience, and which is very limited to yours, but my experience, there's been a path, yep. a very narrow 100%. path. 100%. Okay. Is, 100%. This, is the search process pretty much follow the path using a thermal imaging camera? Period. Looking for the cold. Look for the yeah. cold. When, when, I wish I had my camera. My camera's out in my truck, but you're looking for the cold. The cold of survivable spaces. Mm. Here's, here's a tip that I picked up, and, and I, I wish I could quote where I got it from. When you step inside a house, this goes for a hoarding fire or a, a non-hoarding fire. If you hear a smoke alarm going off, when you step inside of a, of a working fire and you hear beep, yeah. beep, beep, chances are that person may have had a chance to be alerted to the fire and they're on the process of egress. So you may not find them in a bedroom if the smoke alarm hit and they had enough time. So start with the egress point and then work your way to the bedroom. Mm. Same thing in heavy content. If you hear a smoke alarm going off, which you may or might not hear, <laughs> normally there's like six or seven smoke alarms are stacked up in the bag of boxes and not hung up. I've seen that a bunch of times. Yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah, so to check that egress path, uh, I referenced back to a successful case study here in my, in Canal County, you'll know we're up in Rand. Uh, they had a, a structural collapse. It was a basement fire. They did not diagnose the basement fire. Thank goodness no, no firefighters were injured, but they lost a civilian. But come to find out, uh, the, the cadaver dogs had found that she had smeared her skin down the side walls. And they're like, well, why was she on the side walls for now? Well, that was the pathway. So she knew that she could exit that way. So she was in the, she was in the path of egress before the structural collapse happened. So wow. searching that pathways. He, and Frank, I tell everyone, if you're going to go inside a heavy content, number one, you need to understand, slow down, air management, and I call it the triple threat of orientation. You need three ways of orientation. Search rope that's high heat rated, right? Thermal imaging camera and oriented firefighter. One of us stays oriented. Yes. Period. Yep. That's exactly what we talked to and what I talked to my members about was an oriented search process. Period. And, uh, yeah, so what you need, I mean, you could do it with two members. I like doing it with three members. Right. Uh, an oriented search. And that, that's kind of how we would break it up, saying if we, uh, depending on our staffing issues, if we show yeah. up with two members, we're doing a traditional search. Right. One go right, one go left. And I'm not talking about hoarding, because right. uh, it's going to be hard to follow a wall. <laughs> you can't find a wall. But a traditional search, one go right, one go left, find, uh, you know, the victim rescue the victim. And an oriented search, just for our listeners, uh, the way that we worked it was if you had three members, one yep. stays at the door or at the uh, hallway at a certain point when two go and do their search, so that one can guide them back. And you can use an oriented search with a vent enter search yep. uh, process as well, uh, which is one stays in a, in a fixed position to be able to guide them out verbally too, if they sure. need that help. Something I learned also from Andy Starnes is don't be afraid to use your thermal imaging camera. And remember, we're not depending on it for primary means of orientation because you're oriented, you've got a search rope. Don't be afraid to scan your camera up high. That ceiling fan in this room does not move and it's above the stacks of stuff. It, it's don't be afraid to look above, uh, above, the, above the stacks. And that's something I learned from Andy Starnes. A secondary means of orientation, take your camera and find the ceiling fan, find the, the window seal, find the door find a bookcase. Those things don't move. And, and I get that thermal imaging cameras, uh, they lose battery power, the battery fall out. 
little birdie told me they melted about 1400 degrees of plausible deniability <laughs> but uh, don't be afraid to use for secondary means of orientation understanding that windows without curtains look like doors from from the top a lot of them and just keep that in mind for your secondary means of orientation usually usually they're easy to find because they're in the pathways now hard parts getting them out oh, that's the hard part yeah because normally they're not small people i mean look at me i'm not small yes yeah. yeah and not very mobile uh, and so, yeah, I've had that experience as well. It's a very interesting scenario. And let's talk about that. What um, the, uh, the, well, I might, well, listen, it's hard to talk about that because every situation is different. I mean, if you can get a backboard in there and lift them up over some of the debris, that's one thing, but you're still stepping on this uneven ground. Again, it's a, I, and I use that term dumpster as a reference point for anybody who hasn't had one of these fires, but imagine walking on a dumpster trying to carry uh, a 300 pound person yeah it's staying in the pathways the best you can and i hate to say it it's john wayne time it goes yeah. back to well the way i teach it's back to rip principles arm bar locks wrist locks grabbing them by the ankles maybe you've got some webbing because these people are going to be i mean if you've ever pulled a person out of out of a fire I, i've been fortunate enough that the two people that i have pulled out of fire both of them live both of them were dang near naked. You know why we all right. sleep naked, but okay. And normally they're wet. They're they're hard to hang on to. Yeah. So I mean, you might need to pull that piece of webbing out of your out of your pocket. And I'm telling you, you've got to pay attention to your air consumption. Yeah. Because if you That's run right. out of air in these places, you're done. Yeah. There ain't no bailing out. Right. That's a great point. Great point. Let's first talk about webbing. I hope every firefighter carries webbing on them. Yep. Because if you if you don't, it's one of those simple, simple things that uh, has so many great uses. And, you know, for helping you with with uh, with hose yep. to helping you with pulling somebody out of a structure. But, uh, yeah, that's a very, uh, very interesting thing about how you have to probably be more mindful of your air in these fires than most other incidents. Because oh, you may have this this certain process of, hey, when I get to this point, I need to start making my way out. You probably have to do that, you know, about three minutes, four minutes sooner than you normally yeah. would. Ask, ask a group of firefighters in your next class, what are the series of lights in your face piece? What color are they and how many of them are there? You're going to be grossly disappointed that people, a lot of them do not know. Right. Yeah, they don't know until that thing starts vibrating. Yeah that it's time to get out, unfortunately. And, and, and I'll tell you, that I, I'm from the, the uh, Jim McCormack from the FDN School of Teaching. I really like their methodology. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't use gimmicks and tools. Use the things that you're guaranteed to have, your hands. But I tell you, I'm also a big fan of some stuff like that Eric Wheaton from Den Inner Search is doing. They teach people to drag them by their ankles. And I mean, think, I mean, just like that FDNY, the FDNY that made that rescue in the Bronx high rise, they got beat up in the media because you're pulling somebody by their ankles. Let me tell you, if that house is on fire and I'm running out of air, I'm going to drag them. And as long as, I mean, I don't want to create injuries the best I can, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to create injuries for me either. I mean, this is not the movies. This is the, the guy that I pulled out. He was conscious when I got to him. So I put him in like a semi arm bar. I said, sir, can you crawl? He said, no, I can't breathe. Oh, well, I won't tell you what I said after that. But then once I got him, I kind of used like a flying Sukahara half chicken wing and pulled him out. It's like, there's no textbooks 
in these conditions. You just get it done. Yeah. Now, can you build some of that muscle memory? Sure. Matter of fact, my next shift, um, it's so funny we're talking about this, Frank. See, we got this connection. Uh, my next shift, I'm going to drill on drags, drags and carries, because I don't think we could practice them enough. And then drags and carries where there's multiple people working. Once again, something I learned from the FDTN out in Indianapolis. If you ever get a chance to go there, go. Hmm. And it's ready lift, ready pull, ready lift, ready pull. It's not one, two, three, go. It's ready lift, ready pull, ready drag. Yeah, yeah. And these but, are, these are drills. Go ahead, go ahead. But it only comes with practice because if you're on a ready lift and someone just came out of the one, two, three lift academy. That's right. You're out of sync. Um. I love social media. Now I've kind of been dark on social media because I, man, I tell you, we've had a rough, 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 rough year in West Virginia this year. Anybody who follows what's happened in Charleston, West Virginia, we've had a bad. I mean, 2020 was bad, but when now are you, a, oh, now are you talking about fire department or community bad? Both. We lost. We've lost a firefighter and a cop within 360 some days. Mm, yeah. I mean, we've had some tragedy strikes, some other members. So it's been a bad year. So I've been pretty dark on social media. But uh, this is something that you can watch on social media. And uh, I can't even, somebody posted up the other day that a leader that doesn't drill with, their, with his, his or her company is not serious about being the leader. And these are drills that you can create. Well, I saw that because the reference was, you know, there's, uh, if you don't train and you're telling your members you don't care about them, something right. to that reference, That's which right. I, I totally get that because – uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with that. For me, it is about, you have to put the work in. You mentioned repetition, repetition, repetition. It's about creating muscle memory. It's about developing skill. But you know what? Firefighters need to understand that they, this is not a game. You need to master skills. You need to master skills. And it doesn't come from sitting around a kitchen table or sitting in a recliner and talking about it, which I see less and less of that and more people staring at their cell phones these days. Anyway. And I'm telling you, I'm yeah. telling you, I could not be more, I almost get choked up about it. When I came to engine seven, they never drilled, never. And I'm telling you what now, they know it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Now, now my senior guy comes, I says, cap only just one hour, one hour. Hey, bud, we'll be done in an hour. But you know what happens? That hour turns into two. Because why? Because they want to try something different. I'm like, hey, you're all the one makes the hour rule. I'll train all day and all night. So, I mean, it, it, you can make that evolution. Unfortunately, you're not going to make it as a firefighter. You may ask, but when you're the company officer, I think it's your responsibility to drill with them. Here's what, yes, it, it, you're 100% right. But here's what you can do as a firefighter. You can do your own training sure. you can 100%. take a, you can take a piece of equipment off that apparatus and and uh work with it you could read you can uh you know uh, listen to podcasts and interviews and learn about heavy content fires because because or andy starnes if you want to learn about thermal imaging or whatever it may be somebody just text me as i'm talking to you from from tampa florida and says when's your next online seminar i'd like to have some of my guys sit in on it nice. you you could find ways to learn and you don't do and it. take ownership and do it take ownership yes. let me let me just finish this on heavy content and i just want to talk to you about uh, a couple other things because but one is the overhaul stage the overhaul stage now i you have to get the stuff out yeah I, I know that's difficult getting it out but here's the 
part I want to talk about. The emotional oh. tra trauma that this can cause the individual when you're taking it out of their house and you're, you can even take it out of their house and stack it neatly outside. And that probably still causes them some, some challenges, right? Yeah. You need to remove them from the scene. Really? Yeah. I mean, right. you really need to take them out because let's face it, when we're in overhaul, we're wet, we're tired, we've missed Oprah or whatever your show of, of references. I'm sure I'm showing my age again. So we, we've missed, uh, we've missed our show or whatever. And we're not, we're like bulls in a china shop. I mean, right. and here's something else that, that I've came through here lately, Frank, is we need to spend some more time on salvage and overhaul when we're doing it. Uh, we had a fire the other day where they were, I won't say it was a heavy content fire, but it was pretty cluttered. Man, the contents they had was very expensive. So just be mindful of that. But yes, remove the occupant from the scene. Uh, find a family member if they have to, but absolutely, because you don't want them heavy. You don't want them getting mad and come and be violent with you, for sure. So here's what we had one time. We had this incident, and then I'll get off the, the heavy content topic. But um, we had this incident where uh, an issue where we had the water dripping off the sink into the basement. We had all the, the heavy content hoarding conditions that we described, uh, with the path, the things stacked to the ceiling, all of that. Uh, we had a gas odor. Um, we had... Uh, some, uh, I, I, if I recall correctly, I think their electric was shut off because they didn't, aren't paying the bill. Very common. Yeah. And, and we were in a situation where I had, uh, the police were there on the scene, uh, our electric and gas company were on the scene. The building department was on a team and the health inspector was on a team. And collectively they said, we need to tell this individual, she can't stay here. She can't stay here until this is fixed, this is fixed, and this is cleaned up because there's no path of, you know, of, uh, to walk in, no egress, uh, all these unsafe conditions. And they elected me to be the one to tell her. And uh, I thought, gee whiz. You know, I'm like, Thanks. okay. But I brought a new firefighter along with me. I went up to her and I, and I basically said, look, I need to put that. They gave me this unsafe uh, structure sticker they wanted me to put on her front door. Or, or on her door. So I had a conversation with her. I said, so do you have a place to stay? She says, I do. And I said, well, here's what needs to get fixed. We talked about the odor of gas being primary. You know, you have a gas leak somewhere here. They had, they were going to start digging up her street. They checked the house. They couldn't find it in the house. They think it's just out front of the house. But um, you need to clear this up. You need to do X, Y, Z. Uh, I have to put this placard, this sticker on your door, I told her. I said, I'm going to put it on your back door because I know that's how you enter uh, and uh, exit your building. And as I'm talking to her in pretty much the same tone I'm talking to you in, uh, she turns to me and she says, thank you for being so kind. No. And I said, well, but I said, you're welcome. So she left and the firefighter I was with said, chief, I can't believe what I just saw. I said, what? He said, you just kicked somebody out of their house and she thanked you. <laughs> I said, because I, it, it'd be very easy for me to yell at her or to be angry with her and say, how could you live like this? Well, maybe she doesn't want to live like that. It's just this condition that we talked about. It's that she doesn't have control over right now. 
And a matter of fact, she even said to me um, when we first got there, I'm sorry, my house is a mess. I lost something. I've, I've just been looking for it. As soon as I find it, I'm going to clean up. There's, you know, that, that's the only way to clean that up is to actually take dumpsters right. and throw everything in there. Cause that's what it looked like in that house. Some people, it seems like it's stacked real neat. Some people it's just thrown. The, the OCD people are the best ones. Yeah. They'll have it alphabetized. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, hey, hold on one second, my friend. Hold on. Come on. This, this is Nicholas. Nicholas, just say hi. Hi. Hi, Nicholas. How are you, buddy? He's saying hi. He's asking how you are. Good. He said he's good. So Nicholas just came in and said, are you off yet? I said, not yet. He goes, so I want to play my saxophone. <laughs> That's right. Give, saxophone player. Give, give me that 10 more minutes. We're just going to talk about uh, being aggressively positive, and then I'll be out. So I love you, too. So uh, two things real quick. Uh, Charleston, West Virginia, you talk about showing your age. I'm going to show my age right now. The edge. I had a lot of good times at the edge when I was out on school out there. Now I go there and I visit uh, pies and pints. Not mm. quite the same, but I'll tell you. Um, that's good pizza. That's, I was just going to say. For, that's some for, good pizza. For a guy coming from the Northeast, the guy coming from the New York, New Jersey area, pies and pints, they're doing pretty well out there. They're, they, they're making, they, they, know, they know what they're doing with pizza. Yeah, so, Charleston Charleston's a very unique town. It, it's very. It's a small town, only about fifty thousand people. But we've got some. <laughs> my got good some buddy, good restaurants, some good uh, bars and, and facilities, uh, some good shopping. You just have to be careful not to. I mean, I know there's. There, you know, when I was, when I left Pies and Pints last time I was there visiting a friend I went to college with, he said, "Don't walk through that alley across yeah. the street." So yeah. Charleston's a great little town, and in, in, in the grand scheme of things, a very safe town. But we also have some big city challenges. Yeah, we, right. It's it's um, Zan, my buddy Mark Zambito says it's, it's it's a small town with big city challenges. So um, we we run a lot of fires. I mean, just it's so funny though. I, I compare um, my good buddy in Buffalo, New York, Sean Egan. He's like, "Are you running another fire?" And I, I don't know. Just we just go to fires. So, Sean Sean is such a great guy, and I've really been out to, I've been out to the uh, to Buffalo in that area, and and uh, we've had a good time. So, all right, well, let's just talk about this to wrap this up a little bit. And first of all, thank you, man, for coming oh, on anytime with your Star Wars shirt. I'm sure you've <laughs> been watching the Mandalorian. Oh, I'm not going to tell you what happened because I saw your tweet. And I'm like, I can't believe no. you're not watching the Mandalorian, man. Okay, let, just... let, let let me tell you this. Everybody's talking about the season finale of of season two. To the point where I'm like, wait, these are all guys I know and respect. And they're, I mean, I, I have people telling me they cried at the end. I'm like, no, oh, you have so, no idea. You have so, no, no idea. No, but, but I do, because what I did is in the next 24 hours, I binged watch a season and a half, woke up the next morning and watched the last four episodes. And Super. I watched it all in, in pretty much in less than two days. So, wow. Yeah, so was, season one was because eh, I guess they had to set the stage. Season two and then the finale, and we can't we can't say anything because my wife hasn't seen it yet and everything. But oh I'm my gosh, the last two episodes were pretty awesome. Oh, the last one, I was running around my bedroom going, "Yeah, boy, we're back. Let's go, let's go." <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome because you know for me it's it's the nostalgia thing. It brings you back to your youth. You know, it's like, um, and again, I don't want to give anything away for anyone that didn't watch, but it's worth it. Uh, it, it's worth it, it was really uh, fun to watch but before, let's talk about 
Okay. Before, before COVID hit, the reason why I have a Star Wars shirt is for our 20th anniversary. We went to Disneyland, not Disney World on the right coast. We went to Disneyland. And if you've never had a chance to go to Disney World or Disneyland experience uh, the Rise of the Resistance ride, oh, it's like the end heard, of Mandalorian times 10. I heard. I had been on the um, the Flight of Passage one, and I'm sure it's, it's, it's uh, very much similar to that. But if yeah. you know what I mean, Flight of Passage, yeah. right, that was a – a good one from uh, Avatar. Yep, we hit Rise of the Resistance on the opening day in Disneyland. That was our highlight of 2020, and it was uh, phenomenal. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Ryan, you also do some other training. I know you travel around the country. You, you, you do training on, on hoarder fires, on heavy content. Uh, it's, it's really being well-received by everybody. So thank you for doing yeah. what you're doing. You also have a class, uh, Aggressively Positive. Uh, just, Ooh. I, I, lo I, I love the title. I love the title. It's something, just, it's just like hoarding, hoarding fires that I fell into, Frank. And you and I have talked about this. And matter of fact, you actually specifically told me, do not get a second topic. Your topic is the hoarding fire stuff. Stick with it. That's your spiel. You're good at it. Stay with it. And all of a sudden, I started this podcasting thing. And I go through spurts. I mean, like I said, I'm going through a funk right now. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. But I kept getting calls. I got one yesterday. And they're like, this is so-and-so-and-so-and-so, and this is so-and-so-and-so-and-so. My chief's an idiot. The assistant chief doesn't belong. My captain's this and this and this and this. And I'm thinking about leaving my department. I was like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, I'm miserable. It's like, you're miserable. I've warned him. So you don't want to hear this. This is going to hurt. It's just almost like being kicked in the pants. This is going to hurt when I say this, and you're not going to like to hear what I'm telling you. But you need to hear this. The reason you're miserable is because you're allowing yourself to be miserable. You're not going to change your chief. You're not going to change your assistant chief. You're not going to change your captain. Quit allowing them to control your happiness in the greatest profession on the face of the earth. Let it go. <laughs> Insert the Elsa. The, the Elsa I've been, now that I'm a grandpappy <laughs> with girls, let it go. Let it go. I said, take all that energy, all that negativity that you're making. And make sure that those toilets are the cleanest toilets you've ever seen. Your grandmother would go sit in that toilet in the fire station, right? Make sure your rig is the most ready it's ever been. And then focus in on you. Are you fat? Are you skinny? Are you tall? Find your weakness and make it a strength. And quit wasting time on crap you cannot control. That's right. Control what you can. Yeah, all that wasted time of, of you know, worrying about, what other people are doing and saying or not doing and not saying and and that energy that you spend being Waste. visible right Waste. When, when you can turn that into being more aggressively positive everybody and, says that uh, i'm going to debate over the nozzle smooth bore nozzles are the best it's like, well go find your smooth bore toilet brush and go scrub that pot as aggressively as you ever had and make it the cleanest pot you've ever peed in i'm aggressive your mind that's what i love about you <laughs> well it's true though frank it's like I listen know. listen i can sit and point out 15 flaws of frank viscuso you can probably fill out like 50 flaws of ryan but when was the last time you stepped back and said here is an honest look at my knowledge skills and abilities my, my weaknesses and strengths let's find my weakness and let's make it a strength yeah i love that because uh at the end of my seminars, what I do is I put up a list of traits associated with success <clears throat> and traits associated with failure. 
And as I put up these lists and we talk about 13 traits on each slide and not each slide on that one slide, but on each side. Right. I tell them, if you're anything like me, you see that you possess traits on both sides. And there are things that are strong characteristics of a, of a, of a good effective leader that you may possess. And then there are things that you need to stop doing. But the important thing is that you now identify and recognize that. So you know what to stop doing. Because most yep. people I think aren't getting the results they want because they're either not doing the right activity or not enough of the right activity, or they just totally get focused on all the wrong activity and they get sucked into that negativity, right? Yeah. It's so easy to get sucked into it. Here's the best thing can ever happen to you as a fire. I'm, I'm gonna say leader, but this could be the best thing that you could ever happen as a firefighter. Hey, Frank, man, you did a heck of a job. It's happened to me the other day from one of the most respected firefighters, fire captains that I've ever been around. He's like, oh my God, you guys did a good job. He's like, we had a vacant going and we're not saving the vacant. I mean, they're going to tear it down. But we saved an, the, the, the exposure D, B or one and four. And it was a direct result of the decisions that I made in the performance of my crew that was with me. That is where it's at. Well, yes, it's like I always say, the best thing anyone can ever say about you in our industry is Ryan is a great firefighter. No, man, right? and to, hear, to hear that captain come and says, I thought it, because he's assigned the rescue, the rescue goes and they do their scouting for the exposures, clearing exposures, and he came back, he said, I knew we were going to burn that one down. He said, I knew we were going to burn that one down and that one down, but what you made, your call you made with the guys you had and performance you did, save these two people's houses. And the guy was in the house saying, you you all are getting ready to lose my house. They didn't. If we'd start focusing on, and, and listen, I didn't expect it. As a matter of fact, I was floored. I'm like, are you messing with me? He's like, no. He's like, that's as good a job as I've ever seen done. That's I'm awesome. like, you know what? I can go home right now. And I'm not saying, because trust me, when I say that I screw up, <laughs> nobody screws up more than I do. But well, <laughs> if, any, if anybody is, is getting that impression, like listen to this kid talking about himself, they just don't know you. Because I oh, know no. you. I know you enough to know that you're uh, you're very transparent, but you're also yeah. you have that uh, wonderful trait of being self-deprecating that you, that you know <laughs> you know you're not perfect. You know no. you make mistakes, and as do I. And yeah. uh, and I think maybe that's one of the uh, one of the things that I like learning from people that aren't going to come up and act like they they've never made the mistake. I want to learn from the person who did make the mistakes because well, that's so where the real lesson comes from. It's so funny you say that because I was being completely transparent. I forgot to catch my own water supply. Well, there you go. So we ran out. Of, we ran out of water fast. But I mean, we had the fourth new engine coming, which I learned a lesson there. We'll save that for when we're not recording about never depend on certain never. Anyway, so if I was being completely transparent, <laughs> the thing about it is, is you need to own your mistakes. Listen, there, yeah. when I teach aggressively positive, there's some key words that I teach. I'm sorry. It was my fault. It won't happen again. Some other key words about being aggressively positive. Hey, Frank, thank you. Hey, Ryan, great job. I mean, these are things that these powerful words that we don't use in a fire service. And, and we're the brotherhood. Well, are you really the brotherhood? If you're being aggressively positive, do you know Frank's wife's name? Do you know Ryan's daughter's name? Are we really getting in the weeds and putting our phones down, just like you said earlier? Yeah. I mean, there's so much more. Listen. When you were here, you got to meet C.W. Sigmund, the chief, our, our emergency service coordinator. has been a chief for like 665 years. He's been a chief officer. Gave me the best advice I've ever heard about being a chief. Hey, Ryan, 
the chief is always going to be an idiot till one thing happens. I'm like, yeah, chief, what's that? He said, you become the chief, then you're the idiot. <laughs> That's because, great. Because it, 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 hindsight's 2020. When you're looking up, you're only seeing his flaws. Yeah. It's easy to point out other people's flaws. Man. Oh, my, and everybody loves to do it, too, instead of saying, well, let's talk about which way. And, and that's something that I wish we did more of. And it's something I firmly believe in. If someone does something right, tell them. Tell them. Yep. I'm proud of yep. you is a powerful statement to say to somebody. Again, most people, I was in, uh, I was in Austin, Texas, doing a, a conference. And I was telling the story about the first time I heard anyone say to me that I'm proud of you outside of my parents right. and how much it meant to me. And I said, how many of you, but listen to this story. I said, how many of you in this room, there's probably about 150 people in the room. How many of you in the room remember the first time someone said, I'm proud of you. And I'm surprised that about six or seven hands went up. And I said, wait a minute. Yeah. I thought this moment should be more impactful. So I said, I want to really know how many people in this room remember the first time anyone ever said, I'm proud of you. Maybe 10 or 12 hands go up. So I said, how many people in this room have never been told by anybody else that they're proud of you? How many people have never heard I'm proud of you? Most of the hands went up. I said, look at that. Most of the people in this room, over 100 hands went up, have never heard I'm proud of you. And I said, let's take this as a lesson. Be the person to say that to other people. Because if you're leading a team and you say, I'm proud of you when they earn that, yep. when they deserve that, you're going to develop loyalty. You're going to develop more of the right activity. You're going to develop people who want to actually, they're going to want to come to work because they feel valued. Yeah. You I know, was, so, in staying aggressively positive, I was telling them, so take the blame, give the credit. Yeah. And I'm the first one to say, listen, I, I am responsible for everything that revolves around engine seven C shift. It all falls on me. I own it. Yeah. If a mistake is made, it's not your mistake. It's my mistake. I should have trained you better. Should have mentored you better. So, and just the opposite of that, if they do a good job, I, I'm, I'm telling you what now, and, and I might get another little choked up here in a moment. I'm getting emotional my old age, Frank. Engine seven and medic seven B shift ran our police officer who had been shot. Mm. They, they were not going to save her. She was mortally wounded. They worked her so hard. They kept her alive into surgery. Uh, 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 the doctor said, he said, I don't know how she's alive. I don't know how she's even on my surgery table. This should not have happened. But you know, by, by my guys on the B shift, not my particular guys, they kept her alive enough that she donated her heart, both lungs, both kidneys, livers, cornea, her ACs and tissues. She, by keeping her alive, trying to save her life, my guys really saved six lives. Uh, that, that's, that, that's powerful, right? Oh my gosh. And you know, I'm a big crier anyway nowadays, but I'm sitting at her funeral and just honoring her sacrifice. I didn't lose it till they said, and they brought CORE up, the Center for Organ Recovery and Education. They said by her death, she saved a 40-year-old male, a 30-year-old mom, a 20-year-old cirrhosis, just lost it. But those guys, they did great. Ryan, I can't tell you how much I value our friendship and just uh, the things I've learned from you over the years. And so I appreciate you. Yeah. 
And I, I thank you so much for coming on. And, and, you know, that story you just shared, I think is a perfect way to end this. But, but I want to uh, ask you just to share how people can get a hold of you. Sure. I'm really easy. Google it. There's not very many Ryan Penningtons. You're either will get me or the photographer out in Oregon. Bless his heart. I stole his website, by the way. It's ryanpennington.com now. He didn't renew it fast enough, so I got it. So you can find me on all the social media platforms at Jump Seat Views. Uh, once I get out of this funk and I get past all the fires and bad stuff that's been happening, we'll get the Jump Seat Radio back up, which Frank's a reoccurring guest. He still has the most downloaded podcast of all of them. Uh, which is a pretty freaking uh, phenomenal thing. I think we've been downloaded over almost half a, let's see, is it 300, 400, 500, almost 500,000 downloads. Uh, wow. Blows me away. Blows me away. Uh, we'll get that back on on Twitter, Jump Seat Views. My email is real easy. It's ryan at ryanpainton.com. And my parting shot is, listen, don't let other people control how happy you are. Step through that door no matter what's happened. I don't care what part of the country song you're listening to. Your dog's dead your wife ran away or whatever, put a smile on your face because you're a freaking firefighter and it's the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. Amen to that. Hey, brother, thank you so much. I look forward to catching up with you and seeing you real soon and have a great day. 